And if you are able and can do so, would you please stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's word as uh, Darcy Roberts reads to us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, beginning, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so should complete among you the act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. I pray today that, that we would be encouraged as we talk about and look at uh, giving, uh, and that, Father, we would see that this is a gospel issue, that because you gave your life, because you were generous with what you had to save and rescue us, that, that in return, we are generous people. Um, I pray today that, that even though we're speaking on money, uh, that the gospel will be presented and that you would save today. Uh, and then I pray for us as, as, as believers, as Christians, that, that again, that we would be stirred and encouraged today uh, to give. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, you could be seated. Uh, I said last week that, that, that we were just going to kind of take a couple weeks to, to talk a little bit about stewardship. And what we said was stewardship was the, the, the care and management of something that belongs to another. So if you're a guest with this, I'm going to tell you this. Usually we preach book, verse by verse through books of the Bible. And next week we'll start the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time going through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And so you can read chapter 1 of 1 Samuel next week if you want to get ahead. Uh, but for this week, we're going to continue looking at stewardship. And we're specifically going to talk about money. Right, everybody's so happy about that. We're going to talk about money. Uh, and what I want to tell you is, is this, is that mainly I'm addressing the family today. There are times as a pastor I have to address the family. I have to address members uh, of the church. And so today my, my primary audience is going to be you as, as members that, that go to church here. Uh, but if you're a guest or you're visiting from another church, I pray that you're encouraged and that you would go back to your church and that this is something that you could apply at your church. And if you're just visiting and checking us out, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, I hope that you'll come back next week and check us out as we kind of start First Samuel, okay? But as a pastor, I have to preach all of the Bible, and from time to time, at least once a year, we have to talk about giving. We have to be reminded about why we do it and what the purpose is, and so today we're, we're going to do that. And so last week we just talked about time and we talked about how time uh, goes so quickly and how we, we only have so much time. And so that God cares greatly with what we do with our time here on this earth, that we are to steward it, that we're to care for it, that we're to manage it well. And the same goes for money is that what we have has been given to us by God. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 4, that what, what do you have that you didn't uh, receive? That everything we have is a gift. And so before we talk about money, before we get into any of this, we have to look at the gospel. 
Because if we don't look at the gospel, if we don't see what Jesus did, then what happens is our giving becomes legalistic. Our giving becomes a way for us to try to earn God's favor. To say, well, if I just give so much, then God's going to love me more. If I, if I donate that pew to the church or uh, the stained glass window or the new TV or whatever it is, then I'm going to earn some place in heaven. And that's not what giving's about. So we have to see the gospel. We have to see the fact that Jesus had infinite wealth in heaven. But if he held on to that wealth, we would have died poor in our sins. But Jesus let go of his wealth, died poor so that we could be made right with God, so that we could have our sins forgiven, that we could be admitted into God's family. And now because of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, God deals with us as he would his own son. So when you get the gospel, when you see that Christ poured out his wealth for you, then what happens is, is you don't worry so much about money. You don't worry about, uh, about the security it gives because the cross proves that God cares for you and God's the one who gives you security. When you get the gospel, it saves us from envying others' money because Jesus' love and salvation give you a status that money could never give you. We live our life in response to the gospel. If you think about the story of Zacchaeus found in Luke 19, you remember Zacchaeus, right? Wee little man and a wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember, yeah, yeah. Do we even sing those songs anymore? Do y'all do that in Sunday school? Y'all need to be doing that. Those are good songs, okay? Just throwing that out there. If you remember that story, like, like he wants to see the Lord, the Lord comes to him and says, hey, Zacchaeus, listen, I'm going to your house today. And in response to that, what did Zacchaeus do? He, he changed, correct? He went and he gave back. It wasn't like Zacchaeus said, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna all of a sudden quit being this jerk tax collector. I'm gonna give and then Jesus is gonna come to me. That's not what happened. No, Jesus showed up, chose him, saved him, and then that's what changed him. The grace of Jesus changed his life and it's the exact same thing with us as believers. If the grace of Jesus has changed us, if we have been shown that grace, we now live our lives in response to that. So Jesus was generous. He gave all of himself for us. And our response as believers is that we're generous with all that he's given us. So we talked about that last week. We're generous with our time. We're generous with our homes, with our cars, our jobs, our kids, our money. He's just asking us to care for and manage what he's given us. So when it comes to money, it doesn't control us because ultimately, listen, it's not ours. We give freely because Christ gave freely to us, okay? That's the good news of the gospel. Now, the question then always comes up. Well then, how much am I supposed to give, pastor? And to answer that, I, I think we've got to explain exactly what we talk about when we talk about tithes and offerings. At the end of every service, right, the usher's going to come down, we're going to give our tithes and offerings, and everybody's like, well, what is that? And I think a lot of us, we are confused when it comes to what we're talking about with tithes and offerings. A lot of us are like the little boy who, who finally was able to come to service for the very first time, never been in, he's always in children's church, he's in service for the first time, and they're passing the plate, and he's watching his dad as they're passing the plate, and all of a sudden his dad's about to put money in the plate, and he yells, hey, whoa, dad, don't pay for me, I'm under five, I'm free. <laughs> right, we're, we're a little confused. So, so let's do this. We're gonna start with the Old Testament, the time before Christ, we'll work our way to the New Testament, and we'll see if we can't figure out exactly what tithes and offerings are. So in the Old Testament, when you read uh, the Old Testament, you see that there were several mandatory giving requirements for God's people. 
So the first one was this. It was the Lord's tithe. The word tithe just means tenth. So the, the Lord's tithe was the offering that went to the priest because it went to support their ministry. In Leviticus, Leviticus 27.30, it says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. A tenth of all the people's produce and animals was given to the Levites. Those were the priests. No Israelite could opt out of this. A man who, who, who did not pay his tithe, especially this tithe, was said to be robbing God. In Malachi chapter 3.8, we read this, Will man rob God? Yet you're, you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and in your contributions. So in other words, these things went to kind of support the priests so that they could work full time. Right? I heard another story about a, a young man who, who approached a pastor after church one Sunday and he sticks his hand out and the pastor sh shakes his hand and all of a sudden he feels something in his hand and he pulls back and the young man had gave him money. The pastor said, son, I don't need your money. What, what are you doing? He said, ah, go ahead and keep it. My daddy said, you're the poorest preacher we ever had. Right? But that's the point, okay? This tithe was so that the Levites could devote themselves full time to the ministry. That was the first tithe in the Old Testament. The second tithe was the festival tithe. According to Deuteronomy 12, 10 through 11 and verses 17 through 18, listen to this. It says, but when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety... Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain or of your wine or of your oil or the firstborn of your herd or of your flock or any of your vow offerings that you vow or your free will offerings or the contribution that you present, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who is within your towns, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. All right, so the Lord's tithe was for the priest. It was there to support their ministry. The festival tithe was for parties. It, it, was, it was given so that they could celebrate and build community together uh, as a people to celebrate all that God's done. We still do that. Us Baptists, we call them fellowships, right? We get together a couple times a year. We have a lot of food. We, we, we eat together. We spend time together. So you can always look in our budget every year, and there is a portion of our budget that goes to feeding to, to food so that so that we could do these things so that we can spend time together so these first two tithes in the old testament were 20 percent of one's income and listen they were mandatory god said you don't get out of this so 20 percent of your income went to the lord to pay for the priest to pay for festivals and parties the third tithe in the old testament though was the poor tithe deuteronomy 14 28 through 29 at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. 
So the poor tithe provided for the social welfare of those who could not care for themselves. So it was 10% every three years or 3.3% every year. So, so, so what we see right now is this. You had three tithes in the Old Testament, three mandatory tithes that it cr- contributed to 23% of your income that funded the priests, national parties, and helped the poor. That's a lot, correct? But the Lord wasn't done. Look what he says in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So instead of taking all of your crop, you were to leave the corners alone for the poor. So the poor would come in and they would be able to eat. Think of Ruth and the story of Boaz. Boaz was doing this very thing. Ruth was there gleaning because they were poor. That was what was going on. In addition to these tithes, there was eventually a temple tax. Once they built the temple, there was a tax of a third of a shekel used to pay for all the materials and all the offerings and all the things that went on in the temple. So so the bottom line, what I'm trying to get at is this, is that mandatory giving for God's people in the Old Testament was about 25%. It's quite a bit. But God still wasn't done. (laughs) It was at this point that grace giving came into the picture. If you ever read the Old Testament and it talks about free will offerings, this is exactly what it was talking about. So, so you had your first fruits that was mandatory and which an Israelite out of love for God would then bring in the first fruits of his crop or his livestock. So if you're harvesting, you, the, the, first, uh, the, 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 the first buggy of grain, right? Or, 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 or the, the first cotton uh, module that you get, it went directly to God. Like before the whole thing was even, was even stripped, before it was even cut, and you didn't even know what you were going to make, the very first of it always went to God. The first portion straight to him. In Exodus 25, one through two, it says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him you shall receive the contribution for me. So there was nothing really specified. It was just that it was voluntary and it was from the heart. So you had 25% mandatory and then there was voluntary grace giving that came into play. There's a lot of people that do this. I've told this story before, but there was a man when I was a student pastor in Plains named Robert Morgan, who was a farmer. And he gave regularly to the church. But every year, every May, this man would come sit in my office and he'd be like, okay, how many kids need to go to camp? And he would cut a check every year and send kids to camp. Uh, the reason was, is when he was a boy, went to camp, met Jesus at camp, loved church camp, and wanted to make sure kids went to church camp. His funeral was the coolest thing ever because there was all these people there that stood up and were like, hey, yeah, Mr. Morgan paid so that I could go to camp. And when I went to camp, I met Jesus. See, that was a voluntary, grace-giving, free-will thing that Mr. Morgan did. So on top of what he gave to the church, he also, on the side, did this. So that's kind of how the Old Testament worked. 25% plus free will offerings. So what does the New Testament say? And right here is where it gets very tricky. Because a lot of people, especially people that want to finagle around giving, go, well, the New Testament doesn't give me any specifics on what I'm supposed to give, Byron. It's not there. And so if you tell me I'm supposed to give, well, then you're just a legalist. I meet these people all the time. I love them. They're, They're fantastic people. Okay? In the New Testament, listen, giving amongst God's people focuses on grace, 
generosity in the heart. It does not focus on actual percentages of one's income. That is right. The word tithe is rarely used in the New Testament. In fact, the one spot that it is used in Matthew 23, 23, I don't think Jesus had good things in mind. Look what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is telling the religious people, listen, you give your money, sure, absolutely, but you're not giving your hearts. You're not giving your lives to the Lord. So we go back to the gospel. As Christians living after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we're not deciding how much of our wealth to give. Rather, we're determining how much of God's wealth to keep for ourselves. We're not determining how much of God's wealth to give. We're deciding how much of it we want to keep for ourselves. Remember, it's his. He gives it to you. We're just managing what he's given us. So the best New Testament teaching is found in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Right? We've read from that all morning. And let me give you the context here. Paul's taking up an offering for the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church, after it was established, was always poor. It always struggled financially. Part of the reason was, is how fast the church grew. Remember the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost? Peter gets up, preaches a very unseeker-friendly sermon, tells them, yeah, basically, you killed God. That was on you. And then 3,000 people come to faith that day. Later, we learn that 5,000 men come to faith. That's not including women and children, because in those days, like today, most of the time, if you can get the man to come to faith in Christ, the whole family comes. And that's what happens is 5,000 men, so you add women and children on top of that, come to the Lord. And so this church just blew up very, very quickly. You throw in the threat of persecution that kept men from keeping jobs. If they found out you were a believer, uh, you could lose your job. You could have your business shunned. And finally, the economy at that time was very, very hard. You can look back in history and see that there was a famine that hit the land. And so it was a very difficult time to be alive. And the Jerusalem church was very, very poor. So it's in this context that Paul's addressing the Corinthian church. We went through 1 Corinthians a while back. If you remember, they're a bad church. They're an awful church. There's some crazy stuff going on there. Paul's basically like having to get on to them the whole book. And so he's getting on to them about this because he's trying to raise money for this Jerusalem church. And he's telling the Corinthians that, hey, the Macedonian church, you know, right down the road, they helped with this offering. And, and listen, the Macedonians, they're very, very poor. Like, like, you're really rich. They're very, very poor. But because of the gospel, these people scraped all this money together. And you wouldn't believe the amount of money that the Macedonians sent to the Jerusalem church. That's kind of his message. And so in chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see eight principles to giving. And I took all these from John Stott's book, The Living Church. So let's just look at them very quickly. The first one is this. Generous giving is sacrificial. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 6. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. See that? They're poor, but because of what Jesus has done, they've been generous. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So even though they were poor, because of the gospel, they gave generously. So that's the first thing, is that generous giving is sacrificial. The second thing, generous giving is a spiritual gift. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So some people are just very, very good at giving. We all know somebody like that. They say, man, they'll just give you the shirt off their back. They're great people. They're always giving. It's a spiritual gift. Some people have it. But the rest of us, we need to be taught. We need to be taught how to give. It's, it's, it's a gift. It's a spiritual discipline. So if you have that gift, you need to teach others. Disciple them and disciple them in, in, in the issue of giving. I said this at the beginning, but as a pastor, I have to commit myself to teach on biblical giving and stewardship from time to time. I usually do that once or twice a year. I have to. It's my job to remind us of what we're supposed to do. So, so spiritual or, uh, generous giving is, is, is a spiritual gift. The third thing is that generous giving is a gospel issue. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus was generous in giving his life. We should be generous and respond to God's grace. So generous giving is a gospel issue. Four, generous giving encourages us to share with other churches and other ministries. Look at verse 13. Paul says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, <clears throat> that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lacked, lack. So we live within our means as a church. That's what it means. So we don't look at our budget and go, let's go blow the budget. Let's go way over it. We, we live within our means. We be smart, but in doing so, we should be very open-handed in supporting missions and church plants. We should throw money at missionaries. Every year, we've tried to raise a little bit more money to go to the guy we support, Lee Jarvis. Uh, every year, last three years, we've slowly increased our giving back into the cooperative program, which is the Baptist arm that funds missions. We quit giving to it. And slowly over the last three years, we've ticked it back up. And so we're trying to give to it. We support a church plant down uh, in Austin. We need to be doing more to support other church plants as we plant churches, as we share the gospel. We should be very open-handed in those things. So Paul says we live within our means, but then we're very generous in trying to help others share the gospel. All right? The next one is this, number five. Generous giving is motivated by friendly competition, right? Flip over to, to chapter nine. Uh, one page over, flip over to chapter nine. Paul says this, right? I hate this word, by the way. It always, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm, I'm, I hate this word, guys. Now it is for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about. I, I seriously read this all week going, I'm going to say it right. I can't ever do it right. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that you, our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an ex exaction. So he's challenging the wealthier Corinthian church to match the example of the poor Macedonian church. So there's a little friendly competition going on there. I like that. So, so we should know what other churches in this area are giving. That way we can encourage them and say, hey, you guys are doing a great job. Watch this. <laughs> Hold this. Watch what we're going to do. We're going to outdo it. We got to drum up a little friendly competition. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what Paul's saying, is that as we drum up the friendly competition, then more money's raised and more funds go to spread the gospel. That's a good thing, right? Okay. Number six, generous giving is about sowing and reaping. Look at verse six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not, about, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So listen, when we say sow and reap, we're not talking prosperity theology. Get that out of your head. Right? We're not talking about prosperity theology. Prosperity theology says give to God your money and he'll give you more. Just sow that seed, baby, and he's going to give you more. He's going to give you that nice car. He's going to give you whatever you want. That's not what we're talking about. What this means is that as you invest or you sow money into ministries, those ministries then reap gospel rewards and converts to Jesus. That's what we should be about. We should be about investing our money into things that bring others to Jesus. So whenever we give to missionaries, they are on the ground in other countries sharing the good news of the gospel and people are brought to Jesus. As we give to church plants and places where there aren't good churches or gospel-centered churches, they're able to preach the gospel and many people are brought to Jesus. We give our money to things that reap gospel benefits. You may not get rich or paid back in this life, but when you get to heaven and you get to hear the attaboy from Jesus, this is what it's talking about, okay? So generous giving is about sowing and reaping. Number seven, generous giving is one of the evidences of salvation. I didn't say it earns your salvation, so don't walk out here and go, well, Byron said that if I give money, then I'm saved. No, right? That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't earn your salvation, but it is proof of your salvation look what Paul says in verses 13 and 14 by their approval of this service they will glorify God because of your submission 
that comes from your confession. Catch that? You say you're a Christian. You confess that you're a Christian with your mouth. Well, then back it up. Submit. Be obedient. Your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon them. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul's point, if someone has received the generous gospel of Jesus Christ, then they're generous. Jesus was generous, so therefore we're generous. If somebody's not generous, there's a good chance that they might not understand the gospel of grace because they're being selfish and stingy, okay? And then finally, the last thing, number eight. Generous giving promotes worship. Ultimately, this is the goal of giving. Seeing as many people as possible enjoy the generosity of God's grace and then in respond in worship by giving back. 2 Corinthians 9.11, what does he say there? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And in verse 15, Paul praises God by saying thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So although the New Testament doesn't give us a fixed number that we have to give, we can't get away from the fact that that giving is still something that God asks us to do. I I don't think anybody would disagree with me on that. It's not optional. So if we know Jesus, we're generous with his money and we don't allow his money to control us. So let's just say, I was talking about how, how are we doing as Christians? Now, this has been difficult to study this week because obviously we had 2020 happen, which was just, woo, right? We're still in it. Some people can't let it go. I don't know, it's weird. But um, we don't have all the stats yet about where everything's at. We, we do know this. We do know that church giving overall in most churches is down about 5%. We know that during the bulk of the pandemic, about 50-something percent of churches either stayed steady or, or went above their giving, and about 40-something percent declined. So it was kind of a wash almost. Right before the pandemic, though, we did have a little research, and this is what we get. That Christians in America today give less per capita than those living during the Great Depression. So we complain about inflation and all the things that are going on now. And yes, it's not good. It, 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 it's probably going to get worse, but it's still nowhere near the levels of the Great Depression, is it? So during the Great Depression, uh, people gave 3.3%. Now the average church or person gives 2.5%. 247 million Christ- Americans claim to be Christians. 99 million of those say they go to church. Yet, 1.5 million tithe regularly or give regularly to their church. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. So, so in this room, 10 to 25% are who's tithing and nobody else is. Now here's the one that blows my mind, but it doesn't surprise me. Listen to this, this, this stat. People with salaries of less than 20K are eight times more likely to give than those who make 75K plus. Isn't that crazy how the more money we get, the more stingy we get with it? Peter Marshall, who was chaplain of the United States Senate, had a man come to him one time with a problem about tithing. It's one of the greatest stories I've ever read. And the man said, listen, Mr. Marshall, when when, when I was making $20,000 a year, tithing $2,000 a year was no problem. It was easy. 
But now that I make $500,000 a year, there's absolutely no way I can tithe $50,000. And so Marshall just kind of thought for a minute and looked at the young man. He said, yes, sir, I believe you got a problem. How about I pray for you? And that young man's like, oh, yes, Lord, please, yes, that would be great. Would you please pray for me? And I could just see this guy, right? Marshall puts his arm around him, and, and he, he gets in that posture like some of us do sometimes, right? Marshall starts praying for him. He's like, oh, Lord, you see this young man here. You know this young man has a problem. And I'm asking Jesus that you would help this young man out. Please, please, please help him. Lord, I pray that you reduce his salary back to a place where he can tithe. <laughs> That's a true story. Oh, man, that's a great story. So see, there's no question that giving is something that God calls us to, but how much? So since it's not laid out in the New Testament, let me just get really, really practical, and let me try to help you get started. So first off, if you're sitting here and you aren't giving, all I would tell you is this. You just need to start. You need to start giving. If you, if you can, start at 10%. 10% is a good uh, floor. It's not ever meant to be a ceiling. It's a floor. So just because it's not in the New Testament doesn't mean you can just grab the Bible and punt it and be like, well, the Old Testament's all this legalistic stuff. No, right? It's in there for a reason. Learn from it. So, so just start. Just start. When people tell me they can't tithe, I want to ask them the same question. It's like, if your income was reduced by 10%, would you die? And almost everybody, without fail, says the same thing. You know what do they say? No. So the truth is they just don't want to. Randy Alcorn says it this way. He says, ironically, many people can't afford to give precisely because they're not giving. If the minimum of tithing were expected by God and he promised to provide for those who trusted and obeyed him, doesn't it seem reasonable to expect that today he would empower me to get by on 90% instead of 100%? And then listen to what he says. Aren't I a lot safer living on less inside of God's will than living on more outside of it? Ooh. So if 10%, you're going, man, that's a huge leap. Okay, then just start. Two, four, six, eight. I don't care. The point is just start. Sit down with your spouse. Look at your finances. Ask God how much he would have you give. And then here's the hard part. Asking, because many of us don't want to ask, do we? Because we know that if we start asking, God might go, well, yeah, but I want you to give a little bit more than what you think. Again, another great story. It's like the pastor that went to the farmer and said, hey, listen, Randy, I got to talk to you for a minute. If you had $200, would you, would you give 100 of that to the Lord? And the farmer goes, yes, absolutely, pastor. I would never hold back on the Lord. I would give him $100. Yes. All right, well, Randy, let me ask you a question. If you had two cows, would you give one of them to the Lord? Pastor, you know me. Come on. Yes, of course. I would give one of my cows to the Lord. All right, Randy. If you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? And at that point, the farmer goes, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. You know I got two pigs. <laughs> See? That's how some of us are. We don't want to ask because we know what the answer is. So, so start giving and then just work your way up. I think you will find as you respond faithfully in obedience, you'll see that God will, will bless you spiritually uh, that he'll take care of you and that you will grow in your giving as God makes you a more generous giver. We've all done it before. We know it feels good to bless others. We know it feels good to let go of it. It's just getting to the point where we can let go of it. Two, so, so if one's just start, two's just give regularly and deliberately. In 1 Corinthians 16, two, Paul says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper 
so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he's giving a command to set money aside and to give it deliberately. That's what he's meaning. So here's how it works. Some of us, myself included, we get paid either weekly or every two weeks. If that's the case, then you need to set aside a portion of your income for your tithes or offering to give back to the Lord. And whatever you decide, I don't know what that is, between you and the Lord and your spouse, that's what you need to give off of. If you get paid monthly, then monthly. So in my family, it works like this. I get paid every two weeks. We tithe off of what I get paid every two weeks. My wife now works. She gets paid monthly. We tithe off of what she gets paid monthly. We, we, we put it together and we, we tithe, right? But the point is, is that we need to give. Whenever that is, you just need to give regularly and give deliberately. Some of us out here, you get paid once a year. We have an ag, uh, ag community. I get that. And a lot of times you may not know what you're going to make completely until the end of the year. And that's great. But if that is you, then you need to get all your numbers tallied up and you and your spouse need to sit down. You need to pray. You need to decide how much God would give you, would want you to give back um, to the kingdom. But listen, whatever it is, whatever you decide, whatever you and the Lord decide, it just needs to be regularly and consistently whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or even yearly. And what I would tell you is this, you start with your local church first. We start here, and then we go above and beyond that to other areas. Missions organizations, Compassion International, church planning, other things that we give to. I know many of you give to different organizations on the side with your family. That's awesome. Your tithe is a floor to start from. It's not a ceiling. So we're called to be generous. And then third, give sacrificially and cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He calls all of us to take up our cross and follow him. So your giving should be sacrificial. If it's not hurting a little bit, it's not giving. That's what it means. And ultimately, we know that whatever we give pales in comparison to what we've received from Christ. So we're growing church. We have been for some time. And when a church grows as our has, it's normal to attract new believers. It's normal to attract young Christians. One of the things with my generation and down is, is we have no concept of giving like the generation above us did. I mean, once, once the boomers and that group above us are gone, we're in trouble because my generation's stingy and selfish. We are. And, and so we've got to be taught how to give. And so one of the ways that we can mature as a church, remember I'm talking to the family, is we've got to get better in this area. We, we've got to get better at giving, right? We've got to understand that we belong to Christ. All we have is his. It's just on loan. And so we need to give that back to him. Remember the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 47. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. See, what I'm trying to get at is that we've been blessed. And I know that times are hard, but we've still been blessed. God's been faithful. And so much has been given and so much is required. And so I want to remind you again to remember the gospel. There's a real famous pastor a couple years back that, that made a really awful statement from the stage when he said that, that, that Jesus was God's tithe. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know that, 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 that God only gave 10%. Jesus didn't tithe his life for us. He didn't give 10% of himself. He gave all of himself for us. So therefore, because of what God has done for us, we respond in obedience to him. And so listen to me. 
This is for the family. I love you. I hope you know that. I love you more than you know. I want us to walk in the fullness of what God has done for us as a church, and that starts with us being faithful with the resources he's given us. Now, many of you know this. We have a big year coming up. We're finally going to get a monkey off of our back that's been here for a very, very long time. This church is difficult to get into. We have stairs everywhere. We built this thing in the 40s. We had just come back from whipping the Nazis, and we were all going to live forever. And everybody was like 20 years old when they built this church. And they didn't think, oh, we're going to get old one day. And so it's very, very difficult to get in. And so instead of just demolishing this beautiful room, we're going to be able to keep it and put an elevator in that's going to be able to be accessible to everybody. And not just elderly people, those who, who have problems, handicap problems. That's a big deal for my, my family. I've said this since I've been here. Is I think part of the reason why we've walked through what we've walked through is I get how hard it is for some of you to get in this building. I do. I carry my kid up to Sunday school every day. And I can tell you right now, there is nobody more excited about this elevator than my little girl. I mean, she wants it done like yesterday because she's ready to be able to just come in on her own and go to class on her own and be able to whip around here like all kinds of stuff. And so all this is coming up. But listen, we cannot do it unless we give. We're not loaded, guys. I know that probably rumors around town that we've, we've got, you know, $52 million and the pastor's getting a yacht and, you know, a Mercedes and all this stuff. We're not loaded. Yes, God has given us some gifts that we plan to use, but ultimately this is going to come from what we can do as a church. So as we get ready to build this thing, we're not going old school. There's not going to be a dadgum thermometer on the stage that says, well, here's what we got to get to. I'm not hiring some PR firm to go out and drum up a bunch of support. We're not going to go, hey, guess what? If you'll give X amount, we're going to put your, pla- your name on a plaque right outside of the elevator. We're not doing it. Instead, we're going to say, hey, this is the direction that the Lord's leading us in. He's been leading us in this direction for a very, very long time. And so we're going to give. We're going to give. And so in about two weeks, we're going to have a big meeting. We're going to walk you around. We're going to show you where everything's going to go. We're going to show you how it's going to look. And it's going to be a really cool thing. And then a week later, we're going to meet together. And the elevator committee has a plan of how we're going to pay for it. We're going to present that to the church. We're going to vote on it. And then we're going to go. And so the reason I tell you that this morning is that we just need to be faithful with what God's given us. I'm excited for the future of this church. I'm excited for where God's taking us. And I love you. I just want us to be obedient to where he's leading us, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Man, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the privilege that it is to to pastor it. I thank you for uh, how you have blessed this church. Even through the craziness of the last two years, you have been so incredibly faithful to this place. And so, Father, none of us get the credit for that. That's all you. And so we just ask for your faithfulness to continue to abound as we take big steps in the next year. I pray that each and every one of us in this room would remember the gospel first and foremost. Jesus was generous with his life, so therefore we're generous in return. And so I pray if there's areas in our lives where we know we could be more generous, whether it's giving to the local church or just giving above and beyond to other ministries or other things in our community, that we would do so members of this church I pray that we would make a commitment to give faithfully regularly and deliberately over the next year or so as we prepare uh, to break ground and take a big step father if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you the, the gospel was proclaimed today of what Jesus has done in giving up his wealth 
and becoming poor so that we could be brought in. And I pray that if they didn't know you, that that message resonated today and that you saved and that you've changed lives and that they would not leave here today until they talk to me or Joe or a friend to say, hey, something changed today. God got a hold of me and that today would be the day of salvation. Father, you're so good to us. I pray now that we would stand and we would sing to you and that we would get our eyes on you in the coming year. And it's in your name we pray, amen. If you would, please stand.